This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello. Thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. And this week, we've got Nicole Giordano with you from Startup Fashion. And Nicole has this amazing membership platform that she's going to share with us. And we're so excited to have her in studio today. Nicole, welcome. Thanks, Nada. It's really nice to be here. Thanks. Thanks for letting us do this. She's actually, I always say live in studio, but let's just be real. She's in New York <laughs> and um, we're not. <laughs> we're, we're in Pasadena right now. So the, uh, through the wonders of technology, we're able to, to do this. So thanks for being with us. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about Startup Fashion? Okay. So Startup Fashion is an online membership community um, that helps independent startup fashion designers reach their entrepreneurial goals. Um, We have around 700 global members. Uh, We provide them with business education and resources, but also a community of fellow designers because it's really important that they talk to one another and connect and learn from each other because they're all going through the exact same things. And fashion for so long has been an industry where you don't share things and everything is hush-hush and exclusive. And 
we wanted to create something that was the opposite of that. That's awesome. And you came from that industry, right? So tell us a little bit about what informed, um, given your own background, what informed the decision to, to start startup fashion? Yes. So I did come from fashion. Um, I started in textile design. I was an accessories designer. I ran my own small business. Um, I did that for a few years. Um, I transitioned realizing that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. It wasn't right for me. I wasn't exactly sure what was right for me, but um, I made a switch into learning all of the things I could about the industry. So I worked in operations for a textile distributor where I learned a lot about business. Um, I partnered with someone in Philly where I'm from originally um, to have a boutique PR agency for creatives. That was really interesting. Learned a lot about PR and what I something that I don't really enjoy doing. Um, <laughs> I, I then worked in the garment district in NYC. I was sourcing fabrics um, for some of the biggest names in fashion. Um, so all of those things, I was learning a lot about the industry, the good and the bad, what I liked, what I didn't like. I started a blog called Startup Fashion. That blog caught the attention of um, the president of a fashion multi-brand e-commerce platform that was based in Singapore, and she reached out to me and offered me a job in Singapore as the VP of content. So I jumped on that for obvious reasons, but also yeah. it was like an opportunity to really learn a lot about content marketing, which at the time was still quite new. I mean, that was 2011. Um, and so it was a lot of experimenting and learning. And I continued the blog while I was doing that realized that what had started as a little blog had become quite popular and there was some opportunity to do more with it. So I um, quit the job in Singapore, moved back to New York and focused on turning the blog into a business. And when you first, like, what was the attention you were getting from the blog that made you say, this is a business, not just let me continue the, to make the blog more robust. But this is actually, there's a real need here that I can satisfy. Yeah, it was, it, I was hearing from the readers. So at the mm -hmm. time we were getting a lot of comments on the blog. Um, I would get emails. Um, it was obvious to me that what we were sharing on the blog was helpful, but they wanted more. And I realized that I could figure out how to take what we're sharing on the blog um, further, like what are the steps that I can take further to further this and that they would very much want that information. I was getting emails requesting um, consulting and coaching um, opportunities for brands and I didn't really want to do that, but I realized that there was a need for guidance and help and that I could find a way to do that and offer that and help a lot of people rather than the one-on-one. -on -one. And also personally, sure. I didn't want a role where my income was tied to my time. So it was just real, like all of those little things just started to make it all percolate. Like something is here and I'm not quite sure what it is, but there's something here and I can't ignore it. And I, I want to just make a point of, because I think a lot of, we hear this from a lot of people, like they end up doing something, it starts out as something that they love. And because their time is tied to their income, it ends up being um, a little bit of a, a monster of their own creation. And to really thoughtfully think about 
What is it about the work that you love? How many people can you impact? At what point does that impact? Can you scale that impact? And what are the opportunities to do that? So I, I love this conversation for that reason, because you figured out how to do that. And it was informed by a need. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love that you started as a blogger too, because I think you can enter things uh, from an objective point of view when it's in it when it comes organically from an audience from a need versus when you're trying to force something right into existence. Yeah. Um, what was the hardest part of launching the platform? So you decide you want to put this member platform together. You're getting feedback from people saying, "I need to know how to do this." Probably, hey, you know, let's let's grab coffee. So you decide to do live events, those things are organic. But what was the hardest part of actually putting this all together? I think the hardest part of launching was knowing that what I was about to launch was not everything I knew it could be Yeah, and being okay with that. So I bootstrapped the business. You know, I wasn't spending anything that I didn't have. There was no borrowing. So no loans, no credit cards. So that meant that things weren't going to be exactly as I wanted them to be. They weren't going to be really beautiful because I wasn't able to hire really talented graphic and web designers. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also had all of these ideas on how I saw it like become or growing, like what I saw it becoming, but I couldn't implement all of that right out of the gate. And I had to like resist the urge to explain to people like, you know, all of the things that I knew it would eventually be rather than what it was at the moment. And it that was really difficult for me because I had this vision and it wasn't quite there yet, but I knew I had to get something out there and just listen and learn and improve before it would be what I wanted it to be. Did you um, find yourself ever apologizing for for any of it, like, oh, it's this, but it's, we're, we're growing into this or how did you, you did, you did. Yeah, Yeah, it, 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 absolutely. And that's something I would try to catch myself doing because you don't want to do that. You want to focus on all of the greatness that's there right now, knowing yourself that there's going to be so much more, but you don't need to lead with that. And so, um, I did find myself apologizing and trying to catch myself in situations like that and just focus on what we had created. And, um, and as I said before, just listening and learning and improving as we could. And did you sort of set benchmarks for yourself? Like when we got, when I get to this much money that has come in this much revenue that's come in, I will then update the website or create this, um, program or whatever that, you know, that will eventually get me to what I did envision. Like, how did you satisfy yourself with, I'm eventually going to get here and here's, here's the way I'm going to do it. You know, every two months I'm going to go back and take a look and kind of rethink. Yeah. I, I mean, I wish I could say it was that strategic. I think I've always been someone who kind of has this list of things that I want to implement. I still have that list, you know, because we're mm-hmm. always growing and figuring out new cool things to do. Um, at the time when we first launched, I think it was more just coming from, you know, I I, I had to pay my bills too. And, you know, so it's like, okay, well, how much money is it bringing in now? What do I need to put in my pocket? I think far too many entrepreneurs wait too long to pay themselves. Mm. Um, and so, and then it was just kind of like, well, what on this list can we afford to do at this point? Um, you know, what could we do kind of in a, 
in a not the best way, but it's still really good and it would be okay to launch that part right now and we can eventually improve it. It was not as focused and strategic as you described it. It was very much kind of of the moment, what's the situation, let's make a call and just going with the gut. And would you recommend to people that they do it that way and, and, and let it be more organic? Or would you recommend that they set sort of these markers? I think it really depends on the person. For me, it, it, I just, it wasn't going to work for me because there was so much, so much gut instinct and so much communication with the, the, the people we were serving that had I, made like benchmark decisions about things beforehand, it was just going to change anyway. So Mm. I just feel like if you feel better doing that, go ahead. Know that it won't most likely be exactly as you plan. You know, if you're looking at the next six (laughs) months or whatever, like (laughs) you're going to realize, oh, well, that didn't happen that way. But if it makes you feel better, go for it. But I, I honestly think in those early stages, If you're doing it right, you're listening and you're paying attention. And a lot of the plans you have are going to adjust as you pay attention to those people who you're serving. Sure. And I think it takes a couple of years of really listening when you have something Mm. that's audience sensitive, we'll say. Um, It takes some time to listen to what they want and for them to figure out what they want. Sometimes you share the idea and they say, oh, that's great. That's what I really, really want. You know, I really, really want to have... Um, a cocktail hour with people in fashion here in New York City so I can connect and network. And then you find that people are busy and they can't, you know, the train schedule is whatever. Uh, And that's not in fact what the need, I'm not saying that that was the case uh, for those listening. I'm just bringing up an anecdote that that warrants the kind of listening I'm talking to or talking about that you really have to sort of figure out what they want and and let them do the same. Yeah. And I think that that is a skill you develop as a business owner because that still happens, right? So I've got now this community of 700 people and there's lots of requests and wouldn't it be great if we could fill in the blank. And it's a skill I've had to develop to like take it in write it down, have a place where all of these ideas are coming at us, and then think about, okay, what makes the most sense based on how much I've gotten to know them? And they may feel like this is what they want, but here's how that turned out the last time they said something similar. Hmm. And, you know, like that kind of thing. It becomes, as you grow in your business, you start to realize that you're going to get more of these requests and ideas from your community, which is a great thing, but it's your job to really work on developing the skill of weeding through what actually makes sense for your audience as well as what makes sense for your business. Because if you try to do it all, it just becomes a mess. So Sure. And then you lose focus and people don't really know what you're all about. Exactly. Um, so it kind of, kind of bites you back. Um, so I have a question for you on that note. Mm-hmm. Do you now as a practice make decisions or changes as to what you offer based on how many people are clamoring for something or is it based on what you know you can kind of put out in your in the universe of, you know, startup fashion? Yeah, it's a combination. So, you know, we do listen and so I I do realize if something is being requested often and by a variety of people, um I think I I pay attention to that, of course, but then I have to put it like in the scope of our business how would we do this? Is this possible for us? Um, you know, I mean, I can give you an example where 
what Startup Fashion has built is a B2B audience. So we have an audience of fashion designers. We have a lot of requests from members to do some sort of like pop-up, Startup Fashion pop-up. But I mm. have no consumer audience, right? So that's an entirely different business model for Startup Fashion. Sure. And my my heart wants to give them that. Uh, you know, I want to be able to offer you this platform or this this um, this event for selling your your stuff. But I realize that for startup fashion to do that, it, I mean, I would need to like bring on an entire team to manage something like that because it's not what we've built into our business. It's not part of our model. It doesn't mean that down the line, it's not something we could potentially partner with someone on or something like that. But this is one of those examples where that will pop up every now and then like, hey, wouldn't yeah. it be great if... And I realize, and I'm honest with them, like, here, guys, this is what you need to realize about this request. And while I want to be able to give this to you, please understand X, Y, Z. And so it's a it's a combination of listening, paying attention. If I'm hearing something repeatedly, looking at how that, you know, measures up with what we're, we, we've built, what we, um, what our assets are, like what we have available. And if it doesn't really align thinking, okay, well, it's not something we can do right now. Maybe it's something that comes in form of collaboration down the line, but, and then just being transparent about it. Like we're not ignoring you, we hear you, but these are the, th the things that are keeping us from doing that. It's such a great example. And what stands out for me is that you as a business owner really need to understand what your value is, mm -hmm. what, what you have to offer both the audience that you serve and you yourself. Like what is it that you have capacity for expertise in that sort of thing. And by saying to them, this is not what we can do, but, but knowing that it's something that they want, like you said, it sets you up for saying, well, what are the collaboration opportunities that are out there that can satisfy my members, but don't take me down a different path altogether? Right. Um, that's a, that's a good word. Know thyself. <laughs> um, did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Yes. You did? I did. I mean, I didn't use the word entrepreneur. Um, yeah. And I just said I always wanted to work for myself um, from a young age. I didn't know what that meant really, like how that was going to happen um, or what that looked like. But I think from a young age, I've always had this sense of like one short life, like make the most of it, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. I, I don't mm -hmm. know where that came from at a young age, but it was just always there. Like I do not want to find myself, you know, decades down the road, just wondering like, what did I, what did I do that I'm excited about or proud of? And for me, there was this need of freedom of my time and flexibility in my life um, to do things that were important to me, like travel. And so it was really clear to me from a young age, like, well, I'm going to have to work for myself because two weeks vacation, that just doesn't work for me. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, not going to cut it. <laughs> so, so, yeah. And I think also I had really encouraging parents. Um, they are not entrepreneurs. We are, you know, they're wonderful parents, middle class family. You know, they worked a lot and um, they always said – they always made me realize and feel that I could do anything I wanted to do. And there was never this like, oh, maybe you should just go get a job thing. It was always, you know, go for it, go for it, go for it. And I know that that's special because I have a lot of entrepreneurial friends who have had to contend with 
parents who out of concern are just saying, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe you should just go get a job again. And that makes it so much harder. And so sure. All Especially of when you're battling that yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So then you just have people who care about you confirming some of those things. And, you know, I think that's why a lot of people, you know, maybe do give up or, or maybe give up isn't the right word, but decide to tr- change directions. Um, so, yeah, it just was always really obvious to me that this was what was going to be for me. I just, it wasn't clear exactly what it was going to be, just that it was going to be. I wonder if whether you're aware of it or not, because of that, you're able to do the same um, in the community that you're leading. So as you talk to these people who must have moments of, I want to give up, that your voice becomes one of encouragement, um, especially when you're in the kind of solopreneur or the early years of, you know, just a few employees, when you're really, you can be stuck in your own head and and in those, you know, those few voices that aren't always very positive. Like, I wonder, I wonder if they would say Nicole's voice has been so encouraging, not only in the specifics of the fashion industry, but in general as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I hope so. I sign off with them a lot, um, saying, you know, lots of love and encouragement. I feel like in, I'm in the business of encouragement, to be honest. And yeah. I think empathy has been such a huge part of my ability to be successful in the work that I do. And so I, I really love what you just said. It, it's really beautiful to think about it full circle like that. Like I was lucky enough to have that support and therefore being able to offer that to others just feels so natural. But until you said it, I never really thought about it, to be honest, Netta. So thank you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. And your parents, I'm sure, will appreciate that too. So, um, Why don't you go back a few years to when you first started and try and recall for us something that you did that you'd like to do differently or that you wish you could take back or that you feel like you should have just done sooner? So I think something I feel like I should have done sooner was let myself get vulnerable in the business. Um, Mm. I think vulnerability is an incredibly important part of business. And I think too many entrepreneurs feel a need to be professional. And I don't think those two things are at odds. Um, And so I was very concerned when I first you know, became an entrepreneur, became a business owner um, about being taken seriously. And I was doing all of the supposed tos, you know, like, well, I'm supposed to do it this way, or I'm supposed to say it this way. And once I stopped that, I saw a major impact on my business. So I feel like if I could go back, I would loosen up um, earlier than I did. Um, because I think that as long as vulnerability includes a lesson, it's a good thing. So if you can let yourself be vulnerable with your audience, it creates relationships and ultimately create uh, relationships are what creates sales. So it's a good, it's good for business, you know, but I just think that early on, everybody has this need or not everybody, but a lot of people. And I was one of them where it's like, say it, say things this way and have your professional voice. And, you know, and I just, something clicked at some point and I stopped that. um, And, it was it was major. So if I could go back, I would have done that sooner. I like that you're tying vulnerability to a lesson mm-hmm. because I think, and we see this in social in particular, social media, where the premium is on being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. 
and it feels like oversharing or it feels like there's a new bandwagon of oversharing. Like this is what we do now. And there are overshare hashtags, you know, (laughs) about whatever it is. And on one hand, it can unite us. um, And on the other hand, I think it can um, create its own barrier. So I like that you are saying tie that to a lesson, a lesson that you're able to share with other people. Um, and we can all, we all have lessons that we've learned and, and things that we can share. And also in being vulnerable, sometimes the vulnerability is in sharing it before it's all tied up with a pretty bow. Yes. Um, so I really appreciate that connection. Um, I think we'd all be wise to, to, to heed that. So, um, when did you first start to see, you've been in business a couple of years, um, when did you see a real shift, a real growth in membership? So it wasn't just the 5, 10, 20 people that you shared the idea with who were in the industry who said, yes, I want this too. Mm-hmm. Um, when did it expand past that blogging audience that you first build, built? Can you remember that time? Yeah, I think, you know, there were there are two things that come to mind that were pretty obvious shifts. Um, one of them was when we went from being op- the open format membership to a closed format membership. Can you just d- define that a little bit? I happen to know what it is, I but I just for our audience members. Yeah, sure. So open membership um, or open format just means you're Anyone can become a member at any time. It's just always open and available for them to join. Whereas closed is you decide on a specific amount of time and how many times in a year you're going to open the doors and then you close them again. Um, And so when we were an open membership, there was this constant, I I felt like I was in this constant state of needing to do more. Like I've got to do stuff to make sure we're getting more members. Like it, it never went away because we were always open and my my time was split. My my focus was split between the members we had and my feelings like I needed to be getting more members. And so when we shift when we changed to close, it like it was like a sense of calm and an ability to really get to know the members mm. that we have and create a bond with them, which is business changing. When you can when you're running a membership community and you can make sure that what the way you're running this is making your members feel heard and seen and understood, um, that is invaluable. It's, it's just it's the best way to be running a community. And for me, at least, when I had it open all of the time, I wasn't able to really do that. So that was one time I saw a, a pretty big shift. And then another time, which isn't specifically tied to membership, but still made a real impact um, was when we start, we decided to start working with sponsors, which was a, I don't know if I want to say difficult, but it was a sensitive um, topic and a thoughtful decision process because I I wanted to be very particular about who we partnered with. You know, I turned mm-hmm. away far more sponsors than I accept because I wanted to make sure that the people that we were bringing on um, and partnering with, that they actually were helpful and serving our community of independent startups because it's not the same thing as serving a fashion brand that, you know, has been around for a while or that has a lot of investment or anything like that. Sure. So 
we were when we decided to start doing that and have that additional stream of revenue it really allowed us to fund the some of the initiatives that we wanted to grow the membership or to better support the members we had um without feeling like we needed to like you know keep bringing on more members like oh come on let's grow 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 it was like okay we can chill because it's not just membership income that is funding this business this sponsorship is also really helpful in making sure that the membership is just constantly getting better. So, so I lied. I said I um, understood the difference between open and closed, but you just um, shed some light on that in a new way. And oh. and I want to add something to that for for those who are listening. When we think of membership platforms, um, we think of those that are communities that are ongoing, uh, and then we think of those that are programs or courses that begin and end. Mm. And a lot of times you see, okay, it's open for membership, you know, the, or, or the course is open for um, new, new students, if you will, um, the equivalent of membership because they become lifetime members after they've taken the course. We, we've seen this model in a, in a lot of different ways. You don't have something, if, if I'm correct, you, you don't have a beginning and an ending program. Membership allows for lots of things. You have content, but it's not a beginning and end per se. They don't graduate from something. Am I right? Correct. Yes. Okay. And we, we, we use that in our communication when we're letting people know that membership is open. You know, I specifically say we're not a program and we're not a course because it is you know, a different thing. We mm -hmm. have a library of information there for you when you need it, but it's not something that you have to complete in a six-month period or anything like that. It's an ongoing support system and library of resources. It's a good distinction to make mm -hmm. because I think, um, as I understood it, a lot of people that had an open and close were more course type things that, again, you became lifetime memberships of, so they called it membership. But I'm glad, I'm glad that came up because I think that's an important distinction. And I like that you knew that serving that audience w was getting complicated by constantly pursuing new members, mm -hmm. that to have an open and closed time meant that you, as the founder, um, could say, okay, now it's time for me to focus on serving these members. Right. And then also to allow... The, some of the financial stress, stress to be alleviated by bringing in sponsors, even though, you know, the vetting process is hard and making sure that there are sponsors that serve your community is a value uh, and, and one that I'm sure um, your members see is Nicole really has, these sponsors have integrity. It's part of, it's part of the brand. It's part of how we're being served. So it becomes a way to expand um how members see value in what you're doing or, or right. the people that they would bring on and say, no, this is really a legit membership opportunity and everything that's involved, all the people she involves, whether it's a brand or other members, um, it's all integrated into, into the kind of core values of startup fashion. Yeah. I think it's really important. Yeah. Um, you've been so thoughtful along the way. This is so great. <laughs> um, did you, when you talked about kind of opening and closing membership. So I, I would think there would be some sort of a marketing kind of push um, and maybe that you really upped those efforts and you really upped your SEO and maybe even your social media efforts. Can you tell us, first of all, did you do that? And if you did, which of those things or 
were all three ones that you focused on and were successful? Yeah. So we did, you know, we, we tried to be strategic in our marketing though. Admittedly, we could probably be more strategic and we're, it's something, it's a conversation we're having now in, in the new year um, about what we're doing from a marketing perspective. Um, I've been, if I'm being completely honest, I probably can say Please I've do. been a bit spoiled and maybe even a little bit lazy in terms of the marketing because what I mean by that is up until this point, every time we open membership, I'm able to send a series of emails, do some social media posts, a few Facebook ads, and that results in hundreds of new members in a one-week period, and then we close. And I'm realizing that my goal is to help as many people as I can, and I probably owe it to my audience to be a bit more thoughtful about the effort I put into inviting them into the community, like making sure they know about it and thinking about content leading up to the opening in a more thoughtful way, as opposed to just sending some emails to let them know. Um, And I probably also owe it to my team who works really hard and, you know, they do such great work. I, I should be more thoughtful and strategic in the launch marketing plan. Um, so things like doing more kind of webinars and video content and Q&As and just really, really better showcasing, you know, what we do, how we do it, how we're helpful, all of that stuff. Um, so I've been spoiled and I've not had to do that stuff, but I I want to do that stuff. I could probably keep going without doing it, at least for a little while, sure. um, but I don't think I will. And so email marketing is really important to us. Um, SEO is how we started the business because it was a blog first before it was anything else. Um, And we still continue to really um, nurture that blog. And, you know, we post three times a week. Um, We are on social media, mostly Instagram. Um, I do use the tool Meet Edgar to um, repeatedly share our library of blog posts on Facebook. Um, But Instagram is where I spend more real time. Um, I'm trying to make that a focus more like conversational, um, but I'm still learning in that regard. Uh, It doesn't come naturally to me to just open up my phone and start talking to it. So I've been trying to remember that there are people (laughs) on the other side of it that are hearing me. So, um, and I'm I'm a natural introvert. And so I, it's just something I'm trying to get better at. Um, But I do love talking as much as I'm an introvert. I'm a very social introvert. I just usually talk to smaller groups of people, but um, I just, so that's, those are some of the things we do for marketing. Um, But in in terms of the strategy for when we're opening, I'm, I just want to shake things up a little and try some new things. And um, that will be a focus going forward. So, okay, first of all, you said meet Edgar. So we've got a, we've got a, we'll, we'll highlight that and, and link to that uh, tool. Thank you for that tip. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just want to be clear on something that you've said. Mm-hmm. When you talk about doing more emailing, email marketing, and you talk about videos and sort of the onboarding process for members, are you saying that we could do a better job with that group, that, you know, the hundreds that come um, in getting them kind of up to speed on the program and all that we have to, or not the program, but the on membership and all we have to offer? Or are you talking about doing more emailing mar- email marketing for the sake of aggregating more members? So when I was speaking about it, I was talking about 
the bringing on more members because I wanted to be okay, able good. to, you know, I want to help as many people as I can. It's one of the, the, the reasons that I created it this way, as I said earlier, where, I, you know, rather than one-on-one. Um, so that's what I was referring to um, when we were just talking. Great. But as you say- That's what I was asking about. Okay. I was asking about numbers, but go ahead. Go well, ahead. I was just going to say, but as you say that, we actually are in the process of completely updating what the the dashboard, once you become a member, what that is like, that entire experience. Because again, we listen to our members. It's really important. And we have so much great content that it can actually sometimes work against us in terms of creating overwhelm. And if you have a membership site, your initial feeling as the founder is that, you know, more is better. I want to be able to give them as much as I, all I can give, right? But what you have to remember, if you're a member, that can sometimes feel like, oh boy, there's a lot here and mm. I'm actually finding myself paralyzed by what is in front of me. And so we made efforts up until this point to create a much um, clearer onboarding process, but we're realizing that um, we can do better and we are updating the platform to make that whole process a lot um, a lot better. I, I, something as basic as the very first thing that members will answer now or once we make this change is when they join, it's do you have your product yet or don't you have your product yet, right? So right now we don't ask them that question, like whether they're in idea or they're in, you know, okay, I've got this thing now, how do I make more money with it? So it's just that was very obvious to us. Like, hey, we need to be able to do that. We this would make the onboarding process so sure. much cleaner. So it's both things. Netta is what that long winded <laughs> response was. No, but it's important because I think a lot of times um, we, when we're talking about kind of serving that customer, there's do we serve the customer well so that we can serve more customers, or do we serve the customer well so that we can grow the opportunities the existing customer has to work with us to expand our offering in that way. So I wanted to make the distinction to understand if it was, you were talking about efforts to grow the overall membership or efforts to onboard and and make sure that the existing members or current new members in this case are utilizing everything that you've created. Right. Um, and then you, you, know, you talked a, a little bit about how SEO has always been important. That's how you started as a blog. You're blogging three times a day. I just have to, or three times a week. Three times a week, sorry. <laughs> I just have to ask the question because I think it's one that comes up more and more and more lately, which is with the social platforms being what they are, mm-hmm. um, is there a need to continue to blog in the way that we have been in the past. So for those who used to blog every day, do we need to continue that? For those of us who blogged every once in a while, do we need a blog at all? Can we can we put all that into Instagram and Instagram stories and Facebook? Does that kind of, and, and call it a day. What's your advice on that? Um, I do not believe that you should do that. Um, I'm in terms of just switching everything over to Instagram and Facebook and calling it a day because you don't own those platforms. And so if you're spending all this time creating community on those platforms only, then if 
for any reason you can no longer access those people, then what? I For us, it's been, you know, the feeling of, okay, I want to use social media as a way of increasing awareness of who we are, you know, brand awareness, um, starting those conversations, but making sure that as we create those relationships on social media, we are driving them to our own website where we have lots of content, more content that they can, you know, explore and experience where we're hopefully converting them onto our email list so that we can communicate with them through email and not rely just on platforms that are not owned or run by us. And so it just, to me, it, it's not a good idea. I know that there are people out there who disagree with that, um, but I wouldn't ever just focus on social media and not make the, the call to action from social media to get them onto the properties that we own. Sure. And I mean, you've just made an argument for why even having a robust email campaign makes so much sense because you, that's the only thing you really own. If you have their email, you can talk to them directly. If they're following you on social, they can unfollow you. (laughs) I mean, they can unsubscribe too, but it's different. You can't push content out in the same way. Never mind the fact that you don't own the platform itself in, in, social media. So you don't own them. You don't own the platform. You you really are at the whim of so many other people who can make decisions that are in their best interests. Um, and I think the other thing is people seem to be fine. They, they, they seem to be cleaning their email boxes in such a way that email in some ways has, is becoming more important again. Um, they're getting rid of a lot of a lot of the junk because they can get junk in other ways and making sure that those emails are really just coming from, I mean, you know, I have a junk mail email essentially mm-hmm. that it's like, this is what I send out into the universe of orders and, you know, anything, anybody else who needs my email. And that's, that's not meaningful. And then I have another one that's anybody who's coming to this one, that, that those are meaningful emails. So if you're populating my um, inbox, I know that I've signed up for you. I want you. I want to hear from you. And uh, it's it's a different value altogether. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, you've got some people that work for you. You've talked about the team. You've talked about wanting to even, you know, do more for, for the sake of the team mm-hmm. um, in terms of aggregating more members. Um, how did go back to the early days of hiring those first team members, maybe the first person or two. First of all, did you hire them as employees or were they um, contract workers and interns and that sort of thing? What was, where did you start? So it's a little bit different for me because where I started was my partner in life, his name is Jim, has become my partner in startup fashion. And it wasn't, I don't necessarily think of him as a hire because it was, hey, I have this blog <laughs> and I I don't know how to do any of this technical stuff to make this blog look the way I want to. Can you help me? And, you know, he had his own job and his own thing and he was helping me with things. And then, you know, it would turn into me talking about the blog and like the potential business and the opportunities that were presenting themselves and him getting excited to share his ideas. And it became this natural, like, well, of course you're going to be part of the business. And so then 
we didn't really think about it. People ask us all the time, like, did you think about the fact that this is the person that you, you know, you spend your time with, your personal time with, and then you're going to spend all of your work time with? And we didn't. We didn't think about it at all because we worked really well together. Naturally, it just didn't even occur to us. And so he became a part of the team. He had a job for the first years before the business was making much money, but then he's been full-time now with the business um, for two and a half years. Wow. So, yeah, so this is our, as a couple, this business is our livelihood, um, but I don't think of him necessarily as a hire. Um, with In terms of a hire, it was, I would say it was um, Rebecca who started as my, um, virtual assistant, um, and it's contract work. And then she transitioned into, um, uh, being a community manager. She helps me just manage everything. And, um, yeah, she's not full-time. The only two people full-time are Jim and myself, but, um, there's a total of six of us, um, with two of us being full-time and everyone else being, um, uh, part-time contractor, you know, mix of that kind of stuff. So, and how, how did that transition kind of for, let's say, um, the, the very first person that came on board. Mm -hmm. So whether it was a hire or, or not, mm -hmm. um, how did that shift the way you worked? You went from being a solopreneur to all of a sudden having somebody that you could lean on that could take part of the workload? How did you divide that workload? And how did that shift the way you operated in your day to day? You went from being, you know, a visionary founder owner to now I need to manage and delegate. And um, yeah, what was that transition like for you? So that person was Jim. And because he, from the start, was doing all of the tech stuff it wasn't the impact wasn't around handing off stuff because I was never doing it to begin with. It was like, Jim, I, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? Can you build this thing? But the impact came more in the in terms of like the emotional stuff. So I I have this person who I'm working with now um, all the time and he knows my strengths and he knows my weaknesses and he has the ability to pull me out of any of those spiraling moments. He could remind me of, you know, all the things I'd already accomplished when I wasn't confident in myself or just reminding me how capable I am. And so that was, that's massive, right? Like having that person. So it wasn't a matter of him taking tasks off my list necessarily because he was always doing those tasks for me it just in the beginning it was to help me and then you know as the business grew it was because it was his role in the business but um the emotional stuff was um it it it, it was hugely impactful um just having that person so for those of us who don't have that person being uh th that's in our company that is a person you know that we are intimately connected to, whether mm -hmm. it's a family member or whether it's a partner. Um, it sounds like what you're saying is you got to find that. Mm -hmm. You need that um, in order to survive as, as an entrepreneur, especially in those early solo years. So yeah. do you feel like you're able to provide that within the membership? Yeah, that's what I, I try my hardest to do. And not just me, but the fellow members. That's what's yeah. so beautiful about what 
has been created here is that they all they are all going through the same thing so they are able to provide that to one another and we we see those conversations in the group you know guys I don't know what I'm doing today I am seriously doubting myself I don't even know if I should keep going and the swooping in of fellow members um is so magical so yes absolutely yeah I think again that's important for us to realize that it's part of the job um, to be a little bit confused, uh, have moments of questioning yourself, wonder if you've done everything you can, wonder if this is the thing you should be doing in the first place, and that um, our job is to make sure we have people in place to scaffold um, us during those moments that can be at times frequent and at times infrequent, depending on what's going on in the business. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's important that people find communities like yours uh, or people in their lives who can who can support th- that process in that way. And there must be a statistic running around that says that people who have that kind of support just last longer in the entrepreneurial game and, and as a result, find success. Mm-hmm. Um, because in so many cases, it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate you saying that. Okay. So can you share with our listeners one bit of wisdom that you want to leave them with? Something that, um, whether it's, you know, when you start up, don't do or do this, or don't forget uh, to, um, you know, be continually connecting with your audience for marketing reasons or whatever. Any Any bit of wisdom? Yeah, I would say that something that I really loved um, when someone said to me um, a version of was remembering that no one really knows what they're doing. Um, and it's really about the determination, the determination to do it that makes people successful. And I think too many people are worried that they don't know how to do something and they don't know all of the steps, but they're not realizing that determination will get all of that figured out. So don't keep yourself from doing it just because you feel like you don't know what you're doing because nobody does. That's great. That's (laughs) awesome. Uh, I needed to hear that too. That's fantastic. (laughs) Okay. Well, we're not going to let you go quite yet. We've got our famous quick six, which is um, six questions that I'm going to ask you and just really quickly answer whatever comes to mind. Mm -hmm. So do you prefer a nine to five or a flex schedule? Flex. Do you like vacationing in the mountains or on the beach? Beach. Do you like working from home or in an office? Home. Do you like working alone or with a team? Alone. And, okay, you just said alone, but you talk about your team a lot. Mm -hmm. So how much time do you make for your team every week and how much time are you alone on average? Um, I probably am alone 60% of the time. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I always say this is the hardest one. Do you like Thai or Mexican food? Thai. Great. Hot? Does it have to be spicy or no? Spicy. I lived in yeah. Thailand for six months, so I was like... You did? I did. Oh, so you're like legit. Yeah. Like you know the <laughs> yes. real stuff. Okay. I, I, I make a joke about there's one of my favorite Thai restaurants locally. Um, they have something called... Um, the spicy spaghetti <laughs> and a friend of mine who is from Thailand, she's like, that's not authentic. And, and here's why there is no spaghetti in Thailand. <laughs> like, well, there are noodles. Come on. Um, and then what does it mean for you to be liberated? The name of our podcast is Liberty Sessions. The name of our 
um, company is Liberty for her. What is what does it mean? What does that word mean for you? Doing work that really complements the life that I want to live, rather than trying to squeeze a life around my work. Hmm. That's good. So concise. <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much for taking this time with us. Thank you for sharing a little bit about how you got your start and some of the things you're doing to grow your business. Um, and we will have, for all you Liberty listeners, we will have some of the, well, we'll definitely have the URL for Startup Fashion, but we'll also have, what was it, Edgar? Something Edgar. Meet Edgar. Yeah. Meet Edgar. Tool. We'll have a link to that. <laughs> and then there's been so many great quotes throughout this. So we'll be able to share that with um, all of you on social media. So Nicole, thanks again. It's been a pleasure and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Nada. Take care. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.